to overcome with Soph, a branch of Unoya Wellness, a pure and well-balanced mind, a good spirit, beautiful thinking. podcast. I'm super, super excited to have you. Um, I just want you to introduce yourself first and then we'll kind of go from there. Um, maybe give me like first and last name and like a fun fact. (laughs) Okay. Well, hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Um, my name is Jenna Turek. Um, a fun fact. Oh gosh. I, I am so bad at this. It's like whenever it's like, tell me about yourself. And I'm like, um, I don't know. Um, I just can give you like a few facts, I guess. Yeah, um, you. I've got two puppers and you might hear them barking throughout this. Hopefully not. Um, and I'm technically not a newlywed anymore. I'm a little over a year. Um, but I live in Ashby, Minnesota, very rural um, which is something I did not grow up with, but so yeah, I'm a country girl now, I guess. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. So I always say this in the end and I'm always like, so if you need to say it in the beginning, cause I forget every time. Um, but as we're listening to this, just to the listeners of this, I always want everybody to approach this podcast with like, just, um, like safety and just emotional support and just being kind when you're listening um, because everybody goes through experiences and everybody goes through experiences differently. And so the entire point of this podcast is just to create that space for people who want to talk about um, what they've experienced. And so we have Jenna today, which I'm super excited. And I always start these with like a mental health check of like how you're doing. Um, so I can go first and then I'll give it over to you and then we'll kind of get this show on the road. Um, I actually feel pretty well today. I have not been sleeping. Um, so I, I've been trying to keep busy and I don't know it's kind of a vicious cycle I feel like not sleeping um but I don't feel terrible probably because I'm distracting myself by staying busy but other than that I feel decent which is great um how are you how are you feeling today and about recording this episode Well, I'm very excited to be recording this. I love um, talking about mental health and I love that you're doing this. So I definitely jumped on the chance to chat with you. Um, Today, I have been, it's been kind of a roller coaster day for me mentally. Um, Combination of work stuff, personal stuff. Um, I also have not been sleeping very well at all. I've been running very regularly on like like four solid hours um, total probably. Yeah, so that's that always makes, you know, my days really interesting. Sometimes yeah. I can squeeze a nap in, sometimes I can't. So, um, but overall, I mean, yeah, it's just been a roller coaster day today, but um, yeah, it's, you never know. <laughs> I know. And I, I feel that with the sleep, like 
it's always testing the waters a bit when you don't get that sleep. You're like, okay, is this really going to be good or is it going to be shitty? And it's hard. I don't know. Like, I always am like, what's going on? Like, um, I feel like my like, memory suffers like tremendously. Yes. And it's like when I'm thinking back to something and I'm not the best at writing things down when I should especially when I'm like lacking sleep. So that's yeah. something I'm actively trying to do because otherwise, you know, my boss would be like, Oh, did you finish this? And I'm like, I completely forgot. And I remember you telling me now. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. so hard. Yes. It is. It's very it's hard. Um, okay. So a little backstory before we get started, I don't really know you super well, but um, I just want to tell the listeners, I do, I met you like, um, when I was waitressing at the Wilkins. So however many yes. years ago that was. That would have been 2015, which is just oh, like yeah. wild. I know. It's crazy. But, <laughs> okay. So I yeah. have, like, I just have known of you and we have each other on social media. So I feel like we've like yes. kept that link for, uh, I guess since 2015. Um, and like, I moved into of- your old apartment. And Wapiton. Oh, yes, <laughs> I loved that apartment. That was like the cutest apartment ever. I know. I, just, I, I like sometimes drive by it, and I'm like, uh, like the like the intrusive thoughts of like, how great would it be? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I love that. I did. I it was so great, but the the space is obviously a little bit sketchy. Um, yes. <laughs> Yes, and there's not good parking, so it it was no. time to time to go. But um, so I I kind of know some of your story, but I don't know all of it. I just know like things that you have posted. Um, but I first like what I like to do is just aside from mental health, like just talking about yourself. I know you did kind of give me some stuff in the beginning about yourself, but more so like let's dive a little bit deeper into who you are, what you do, what you think is important for the listeners to know about you before we really get into the story of like why you're here on the podcast today. Perfect. Yeah. Like I had mentioned before, um I live in Ashby, Minnesota. So it's like a town of uh, I think like 450 people. Um but we live actually south of that. So we're really middle of nowhere. Um definitely has its purpose. Oh, so you're real world. Like you're like in oh nowhere yes like literally you can't see my house from any road we're in like a little cove of trees which I absolutely love um but winter so it was a funny story so my husband now husband boyfriend at the time he lived in Starbucks so just about 20 miles south of Alexandria and um we were kind of at that point we'd been long distance for about a year and a half and I think we, he was ready to kind of move on from his starter home and I lived in Fargo at the time. And so, um, it's kind of like, Hey, are we going to do this? Like, are we going to move in together? My lease was coming to an end and we just, we actually got an offer accepted on a different home in a different area. And, um, and it's, it, that's a whole different story, but the, we ended up not getting it. Um, and then we almost gave up, but then I just kept looking and we came across this house that we're in now currently. And, um, I was like, what, what is in Ashby? Like that literally looks like the middle of nowhere and I'm in Fargo. So I'm like the fact of going to a tiny town just sounded so daunting in so many ways. Um, yes. but the house itself is just 
amazing. Um, we have 20 acres, so that to my husband was the bigger deal. He didn't really care what the house looked like. He just was like, 20 acres? Yes, please. Um, and we got it for a really what good deal. And so land. Like, I think that they I know. And he wants more. And, you know, it's it's kind of that, like, I'm not against that. I think it's great. Land is something that, you know, I feel like if everyone has the opportunity to own land at one point in their life, it's such a good investment. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we ended up here. It was a good location for him work-wise. Um, uh, he's a liquor sales rep, so he has a territory. And so it's kind of smack dab in the middle of Fergus and Alex, which are his bigger um, accounts. And so it just kind of happened. Um, it's big house. Not to interrupt you, but um, my sister lives in Alexandria right now. And well, actually they were in and now they're in Freda and they have been looking for a home. I swear for like oh. two years they've been on the hunt. Yes. And I feel like every time they like put an offer in, like in that area, it's so difficult to find a house. So when you said you yes. have to be like at this house and like, I finally figured out where you were talking about. I'm like, wow. Cause she has just had so many challenges with it. So when you said like you got the house, but then didn't and stuff, I'm like, Oh, I yes. bet she could really. <laughs> yeah. The housing market right now is just, so crazy everywhere. Um, but I mean like being in the middle of Lake country, it's, it's very like, you know, if you want waterfront, you're going to be paying way more. And just if you want to be in like Alexandria, it's, that's going to be more expensive. It is crazy. So that's kind of the, I think why we got such a good deal too, is we are literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, it takes the right person to live here. Um, winters are (laughs) terrible. Um, I would imagine. We have like a quarter mile long easement driveway. Um, so winter we get snowed in a lot and we have like a, a small tractor. Um, but our farmer neighbors save us quite a bit. <laughs> yes. It is just every winter we're like, why do we live here? Why are we doing this to ourselves? Um, but it's not winter. We absolutely love it. So, um, so yeah, I work for, um, Concordia Language Villages right now as a graphic designer. I've been there a little over five years. Um, And I also do freelance graphic design, photography, videography, kind of like illustrations, anything really creative. I kind of dabble in all of it. (laughs) So it's kind of hard to find that path, which, you know, stresses me out sometimes. But um, I have two dogs. I feel like when you are in like a creative... um, field I guess you could say or like even mm-hmm. you know that it's just it's so hard to find your groove of like what you're gonna go for and what you're gonna do yes. like you're they all intertwine yeah they all really intertwine with each other and so you know you think you have a track but then you you know start doing something else you're like oh but I really love this so you know I'm just <laughs> trying to figure out how I can just make it all mush together and be like something that works so we're getting there <laughs> it's great yes um I have two dogs uh Doug and so Doug is a ivory lab um so he's and he's a big boy he's like over 100 pounds Um, so just think of like doofy Doug um and then (laughs) I have a little four pound Maltese mix uh named Phoebe Dog. Yes. So just. Oh yes. And Phoebe was my dog, and Doug was my husband's dog, and so 
That's how that came together. And it was a process to get them acquainted. Um, but now they just act like siblings and Phoebe runs our house, obviously. Oh my goodness. I the love that. Ones always do. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the basis of my life right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Is there anything else that you feel like is important to share before we kind of dive into the story bit? Um, not that top of my head. I think anything else, it'll kind of make sense. Like that I'm kind of diving into some of, um, some of my story. Yes. Okay. So Jenna, now I'm going to give you the opportunity to share your story. And I know you have a lot of different like points of it, so you can just start wherever and I'm just going to let you roll. And if I have any questions that I think are like, um, like the listeners might want to know about or ask, um, I will ask you, but otherwise I just kind of want you to roll with like what you, how you want to approach this or give the story to us. And I so appreciate it because this story is very different from anything. I mean, I know that you'll probably talk about your own stuff too, but this story is so different from anything we've talked about. So I'm so appreciative you came on the podcast because I think it's so and I'm so happy you're here. So you yes. just let it roll. Okay, perfect. Um, so I'll just kind of preface from, you know, growing up, I, I'm originally from Grand Forks. Um, and growing up, I had a pretty normal family dynamic. Um, I am the middle child. I have an older brother and a younger brother, um, both parents in the home. And um, I didn't really suffer with anxiety or depression or anything like that growing up as like a child. Um, even into high school. And so I guess my mental health journey really started um, when I was a senior in high school. My older brother, who's about two and a half years older than me, um, broke his neck snowboarding. And so up until that point in my life, nothing really traumatic had really happened. Um, And so that was something just completely threw my family for a loop. Um, He should have died, Um, when you look at the accident and kind of how it happened, um, but he didn't and he ended up not being paralyzed or anything. He had temporary paralysis, um, that kind of slowly came back, but you know, he had the whole works of the halo with the screws in the skull. Um, it was wild. Like it was, and so when this happened too, just a little side kicker, um, I had just. I was on the tail end of having mono and I had not just the mono where you're really tired. I had the mono where like, you feel like you're going to die. Um, like I couldn't eat anything. Like I lost like 25 pounds in two weeks. It was, it was so bad. And so I'm finally getting better from this. And I had a sprained ankle at the same time. Like I was a hot disaster. Like I had a boot, I had mono. It was just, it was so bad. And then that happened. And so I'm just like, okay, what else? Like, just bring it on. Um, and so you said yeah. at this time, this when you were starting to struggle with like some mental health stuff or was it because yes. of your brother? So it really, um, was because of my brother. So, um, I remember being so carefree all through high school. I mean, I didn't really ever think about like the consequences if I went here with these people and if I was drinking or, you know, it's, And then when that happened, it really put life into perspective of like how quickly things can change. And I think that was my first real glimpse of that. Um, And so that was just an entire journey 
through that of, you know, seeing how my parents dealt with that, seeing how my younger brother dealt with it. Um, just everyone dealt with it so differently. Um, and then I just started to get those feelings of dread and of just like my daily life. And I was like, what is this? Like, I don't really know what's happening. I've never felt this way before. And it kind of transformed into like me not wanting to drive. Like I got really bad driving anxiety and I don't know what the trigger with the driving was, but I was like, okay, this probably isn't normal. I should probably go <laughs> to the doctor and like talk to someone. Figure out. Senior year or when is this? Like what's the time? Yeah. Of this? So he, so I was in the middle of my senior basketball season and so I would, I think it was like January, I want to say. So it would have been January of 20 or of 2009. Oh my God, that was so long ago. Um, I'm aging myself right now. And, oh, no, uh, I was just, like, secretly slipping in how old you are. <laughs> I'm like, it's okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, so 2009 and then, um, yes, so that happened and then as it, like I got into summer, that's kind of when I started realizing okay. Okay. Like, something was off. Yep. And so um, finally went to the doctor, um, started going to therapy, and that's where we kind of uncovered that I definitely had some PTSD from my brother getting so severely injured, um, that like secondhand post-traumatic stress where uh, it just really amped up those anxiety, those anxious feelings of, um, always kind of thinking about the worst case scenario. Um, and so in college, it kind of, it was very much roller coaster. I didn't get a medication right away. And that, um, I think it, it, medication's a scary thing for people, especially if you've never been on it, that first kind of taking that leap into it. Um, Cause you hear about how much it helps people, but you also hear about the side effects or people being like, I turned into a zombie and like, it just, everyone is so different. And so and such, regardless of it, there is such a stigma around it. Like I feel like if, yes. if you tell the wrong person, it's like you have to feel them out first. And then if you're like, Oh, they're safe. Then you can be like, okay, I'm on medication for anxiety. But like some people are yes. very, no, like, I think you can handle it on your own. Like, I don't think you need to do that. Go for a run, do the things. And so I definitely can yep. relate to that. Like, it's scary. Yeah, it is. And, um, and you just like, you don't know what's going to change with you, you know, like, am I going to, are parts of my personality going to go away are, or am I just going to feel so much better? It's just the, the fear of the unknown with that. Um, so I, I kind of kept putting it off, kept going to therapy, um, where we, you know, just started uncovering all these different things. And at this point, my older brother was in, um, kind of like his work more recovery. He, he was able, he still had a neck brace on, but he was able to be, uh, like functioning for the most part, walking around all of that good stuff. So then, so that kind of like that wore off that the cause of that. So it was just more than that continuation of, okay, that anxiety now is transforming into um, the different things going on in my personal life. Um, so, and at this time too, uh, it was definitely more of an anxiety diagnosis and not so much the depression aspect of it. Um, and I think they're so closely tied intertwined with each other. And um, I think it's, you rarely find them, I think, super separately. 
I think there's always a little bit intertwined with whether one is heavier than the other. Um, and so you definitely, I definitely saw that kind of come about in different ways, in different situations. Um, so then, yeah, that I would say the next couple of years, it was probably pretty just that steady roller coaster. Um, and then I ended up getting into like my first real, like long-term relationship and that quickly became, um, I don't want to use the word toxic in the beginning. I think it was one of those things of, um, you overlook a lot of things. You don't want it to be true or you don't want to, you're like, no, this is just my anxiety thinking like yes. something's going on. Classes, like, yeah, I totally get it. Like you just, you want it to work. And so you, you're willing to overlook things that you exactly. shouldn't. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Yes. And, um, it was, yeah, one of those things where, you know, we really, where you kind of, you don't like lose friends, but like your main focus kind of becomes that relationship. And I was nearing the end of college then. And so then it was the question of, okay, like, do we get engaged? Do we, you know, what do we do from here? Um, and I feel like so many people have the pressure of like, oh, we've been together for a couple years. Like, this is what we should be doing. Like, this is the next step, whether or not you're fully ready for that. Um, society pressures people so much to like, oh, you've been together this long. Like, you should be engaged by now. Um, and I think we kind of just fell into that trap of that. Um, and so, like, during that time of where all these red flags were kind of happening that I was just ignoring, my mental health definitely, looking back now with hindsight, is it was definitely declining. Um, and my anxiety was getting worse. The more depression was setting in. Um, but, of course, I didn't want to link that to that relationship. You know, I'm like, no, it's all these other forces at work, you know. Uh, and I really like so, what you said. Um, I'm just, I'm, tr I'm t thinking back to this thought that you said how it's societal pressures, because I feel like that's so true. Like you, if you have been dating and I think, I don't know if it's just in our area specifically, um, or more like small town feel because like I have a ton of relatives in the cities and stuff and like nobody's really married and they're in their thirties, but like here it's like, you get married, you have the baby, you do the thing, you get a, you know, you have another baby and it's like. So I feel like that is so pressuring. And then it's interesting that you say how your mental health was in reflection, because I feel like, I mean, I do so much reading on this, but when you feel safe in a relationship, you don't have those feelings. But like you said, you don't want to link those negative feelings to that relationship because you want it to work. So it's just like a double-edged sword when it comes to that. Oh, definitely. And, um, yeah. And you, you talk yourself out of it. You're like, even if you start thinking that you're like, no, I did this and this is probably why I'm feeling like this. And you just really make up every excuse in the book to not kind of face that reality. Um, and so we got engaged, uh, while I was still in school, I had a year left and that was, I think when the first, like, it was a weird blend of anxiety then of like planning a wedding and then mm -hmm. having doubts at the same time that you're planning your wedding. It's just, it's such a wild combination of emotions and it's really hard to explain, but like, that's I feel like instances. Like people oh, who get it, get it though. 
Yeah. Oh, I was just okay. yeah, you get it, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, and so then the time comes, get married, um, and then like a week after our wedding, we moved to Wapiton, which is where I met you. Uh, so you so you know my ex-husband but I'm not going to say names um and uh yeah and so I think it just really steadily got worse when we moved and you're you're isolated then to each other um didn't know anyone in Wapiton and that wasn't that was really okay with me I'm like okay it'll be a, a fun fresh start um, why did and, you get um, so he was going to go, uh, to school. So he was going to oh. go to school for agriculture. Yeah. And he did. He, he went to school for about a year and a half. So he was like a semester shy. Um, yeah. but I would say it was about halfway through like that first year that like things just were not good. Again, ignoring huge red, not even red flags at this point. They were like red billboards that I was just completely ignoring. Like, it's, it's so true though. I mean, like, it's almost like the bigger, the, you always hear those people say like, doesn't matter how big you make the stop sign. There's people that just won't stop. And yeah, that's like absolutely. exactly what it was like. Um, and I feel like it's protecting yourself. Like, you know, if you, if you start to pay attention to the stop sign, like, you know, what's going to happen. Exactly. So I'm like, I was pretty much just putting off the inevitable, honestly. And, um, it's a, such a mix of emotions of feeling like you are failing at like your marriage, that you're failing as being a wife. You're, you feel just all these different failures and, and a lot of them aren't like for me, a lot of them were not anything I was doing. Um, like the really big major ones. So then you start to question what's wrong with me. What am I doing that's causing this? When really in reality, like everyone needs to be responsible for their own, their own actions and their own lives. And it's so hard when you have anxiety and you're a fixer to not like to just let that happen. And um, I remember, so we then things came to light. We separated and, um, then everything just like crashed down on me, essentially. Um, I ended up because of my mental health being just so severely, um, like declining, I ended up taking a mental health, um, FMLA leave for my job, um, unpaid for two weeks. Cause that's just, I couldn't function. I couldn't, I couldn't function really in just the simplest daily task. And I would say that this was my ultimate low. Um, and the, and I had just, I should say to, um, I just started medication, like not that long before that too. So I'm like, I don't know if this is just me getting used to my medication. I just didn't know. And so took my leave, came back and things were a little bit better, but like not great. And then ended up just like not working at my job. Just, I, it was just too severely, um, it was just, it was not good. And at that time, then that's just one more thing that's like dumped on you that mm -hmm. another failure added to the list. And so, and I remember too, having so many, so much anxiety around like telling my closest friends and family, like what was going on. Like I remember going home to Grand Forks and 
being there for like two weeks and not even really like talking to my parents even about what was going on. Um, I just remember saying like, I just need to be here. Why, why do you think you didn't want to speak out about it? I think because, um, a part of it was my ex had gotten really, really close with my family, uh, like mm-hmm. my extended family, everything. And I, there was definitely like a facade that was put on that, like, it, it was hard for anyone, even my closest friends to like, imagine the things that had happened that like, they're like, no, I just like, they just like didn't believe it because it was just a totally different situation behind closed doors versus Mm -hmm. like what was being shown to the people around us and the people closest to us. So I knew there was going to be shock with a lot of people. And I don't know if, I just don't think I was ready to face that and to have to like explain that. Yeah. And I feel like that's what a lot of people feel like too, when you, when you know, things are wrong and like, you're in that really odd in between stage a feeling of like, like I know on my end it's done, but like no one else knows that. And it's just, it's a very weird headspace to be in. And so I'm like, I just didn't really know how to navigate all of that. Um, and of course there were the, um, certain people, people I didn't expect it from, uh, that I got backlash of like, well, if things are wrong, like, why are you here? Shouldn't you be there trying to fix it? And that's coming from people who I'm like so irritated for you. Yeah. And it was, and it was really hard. And I really tried to give them grace in that aspect of like, they, I wasn't telling anyone like details of like what was going on. Um, but with people being like the closest to me, you know, you want to trust that they are trusting that you're making the right decision for yourself. And so I think there was just a lot of hurt and betrayal that came with that of people kind of making the assumptions that like, you're not trying hard enough or like, what did you do to cause this? Um, And that's like a generational thing too. Uh, I think the older generations, it's very much, if there's a problem, you, you fix it, divorce, was not, you know, as easily accessible as it is now today. And so, um, and we'd only been married for at this point, like not even a full year and a half. I mean, so it was, that was even more of like that failure aspect. And I look back now and I'm like, Oh my God, I was 24. I was like a baby. You know, and like, there's people that get married young and it works out great. And that's, it's fantastic. I love when that happens for people. And it just, for me, just like, it wasn't that way. And so I remember when I finally, um, told my dad, I think I told my mom probably in, I talked to my mom, she's like my best friend. So I talked to her about everything. So she probably knew before, but I didn't really count her as a person. Cause I just tell her everything anyways. <laughs> I'm like, mom, you just like know all of this. Like you just don't count. You're like the other half. So of did brain, she so. know when you came back home? Did she know what happened? She she was the only one that knew, and okay. she knew she wasn't going to say anything to anyone um, until I was ready to like share with people. And so I remember telling driving with my dad to the airport to pick up um, some family, and I remember him kind of trying to like enter that conversation of 
you know, way like, <laughs> yes, like, you know, marriage, marriage isn't easy and you know, things are going to happen and you just have to figure out how to work through it. I remember just sitting there in my head and I'm just like, okay, I have to tell him because this is like, he's so off base, like bless his heart. He didn't know, like, that's probably the approach most people would take. And I was just like, you can't fix, you know, and then told him what was going on. And he immediately changed demeanor like instantaneously and he was like all right well let's pick a weekend to get you moved out and like I mean he just went into like protective papa bear mode um and so that was I mean just so many life changes happening in that moment of you know losing your job getting a divorce then at that point too then I'm moving to Fargo um and I don't really know, I mean, I probably chose Fargo just because I was familiar enough with it. You know, I grew up going there all the time from Grand Forks, um, but I never lived there. I have a lot of family there, so that was also probably a factor. Um, and I just need something different. I just was like in this phase of like, I'm going to like refine myself and discover myself again. Um, so I moved to just a little 400 square foot apartment in Fargo, um, downtown, something totally different than I, what I was used to. First time living alone. It was just, I was going to ask if you lived alone. Yeah. How, how was that? Yeah. How it was, I loved it. Like I absolutely loved it going from, you know, I had called roommates and then my ex and I had essentially really moved in together. Like right when we started dating, it kind of just weirdly happened that way. Um, you know, so I hadn't even experienced living alone and like dating someone and not living with them. And so I was just like the idea of like starting to date again and, you know, figure all of that out. So it was, it was the best. Everyone, I just, if you have the opportunity to live alone at one point in your life, I just highly recommend it. It is just one of like the most freeing things ever. Um, like to just have like a space that is just 100% yours. And I just like, I didn't know what that felt like. And, um, I remember like my mental health definitely like started improving in this time period because I was being able to do the things that I truly wanted to do. I didn't have someone, you know, following my every move and I'm not having to consult with someone else about doing things or what's going on with them. And it was really freeing. And I really just had, had fun that summer. Um, and then I had actually met my now husband on Tinder. So it was super fun. We love Tinder. That like works. <laughs> it's so funny. I have, we have so many friends that met on Tinder that are like married with kids. Like it is so crazy how many people there really are. No one wants to admit it. That's the funniest part is like they're just like oh we just like met online like what dating app what one (laughs) (laughs) and so so that was really funny and um he's a little older than me and lived in starbucks so we didn't live in the same place which was like kind of an exciting fun thing too um and then we just started dating just saw each other on weekends when we could i got a new job um actually i got accepted at 
my job the day that my divorce was finalized. So I really took that as a, like, a really good, like, fresh start, like, one chapter closing, another one opening. Um, it was just so I love that. I, I still I remember. <laughs> yes. I, lo- I remember the day so vividly, too. Like, getting my papers in the mail with, like, the final everything. And then getting, like, a phone call offering me the job. So I was like, this is all meant to be. Yes. Loved it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Right. And I would say then... Um, at that point, I was, my mental health, I, that was actually probably, like, the most even keel it had been in a really long time. Um, like, having that independence and being able to, like, really, truly focus on yourself. Um, and I, you know, had a boyfriend then at that time, but we were long distance. You know, he he had a lot going on, and it was just nice to, like, check in with each other, but to not have to be, like, fully, like involved in each other's stuff so I really I think that's part of why it just like everything was just chill it was on my terms um and so then we had been dating about a year I would say a year year and a half um and then that is when my dad had passed away so this is like a whole opens up like the whole I I look at it it's like Yeah. And it's just, you know, you go and that's what depression and anxiety are. There's the high highs and the low lows. And it's just a perfect example too, of like how quickly life can change just like in a moment, like my entire life was flipped upside down in a 30 second phone call. Um, and I'm going to cry. I'm already crying thinking about it. So like, don't mind me. Oh, I know. I'm like, I've already been having a day today. So I was like, the tears will probably yeah. flow and that's fine. It's okay. Let it it's flow. okay. It flow. It deserves yes. to be. <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah. So I remember I had just gotten to my, my boyfriend's house, now husband, um, Justin, his name's Justin, just so I can say Justin, that'll just, be <laughs> just here. um, <laughs> And I remember being really frustrated with, like, I don't know if I had an argument with, like, my brother or someone. I'd gotten in an argument, and so I was just, like, not in a great mood. Um, Got to Justin's house, and I just was like, I just kind of want to go to bed. I didn't really want to do anything. He could tell I was kind of crabby. So we just kind of watched a movie and went to bed. And that's when I got a phone call at 1.21 a.m., Um, I'll never forget the time. Uh, And it was my brother, my younger brother. And I didn't, like, it was very abnormal to get a phone call. Like, my brother's a terrible communicator. Like, love him to death. Like, you know something's wrong wrong when when somebody like that calls you. You're like, why are you calling me right now? Like, what's going on? Yes. Yep. And like woke me up out of a sleep and like, I don't wake up to my phone a lot either. So I thought that was really weird that I like woke up instantly. Um, and yeah, like my brother, love him to death. He's a terrible communicator. He knows this. And so I'm also like, this is weird in general that my brother's calling me, let alone at like in the middle of the night. Um, and I answered the phone and I just, you know, you can just tell there's just like an energy Like, it's crazy how you can feel that just even, like, through a phone call. And I just was like, hey, like, what's going on? And he, like, couldn't really 
like get his words out. Um, and I was like, what, like what, what's going on? And then he finally, he said, he's like, dad died. And I was like, what? And it was an instantaneous where I just was like, no, no. I remember like repeating no, like 10 times. I was like, no, just no. Um, and then I, you know, and at this point I didn't know the cause. Like I didn't know what happened. Like, did he have a heart attack? Like what was going on? And then that's when he told me that my dad died by suicide. Um, and that is, it's, I don't really even know how, like, I just kept repeating no. I was like, no, 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 he didn't. Like he didn't. And I just kept saying no thinking that like the more times I said, no, it wasn't going to be real. Yeah. 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 And, um, then I remember hanging up the phone, uh, and Justin had woken up too. Cause he could just, you know, sense in my voice, I'd woken him up and he had heard it through the phone. Like it wasn't on speaker, but he had heard it. And he just instantly hugged me and was like, no, like I could like under his breath. He was just like, no, like what? And that I remember just being like in shock, of course, Be, like a death in general is like, I had a friend describe, give me the perfect analogy just like a few months ago. And it like really stuck with me as she was like, unexpected death is like getting burned. Like you lose all nerve endings. You lose, lose all senses completely. And you just, you don't, you don't feel anything. You don't feel anything. And that stage lasts, it, it, it was different for everyone. Like some people are like that for a year. Some are like that for five years. You know, it really depends on like your relationship to the person, you know, did you live with them near them? And, and then she said, and then, you know, when that, the shock of that burn wears off is then when you start to like you apply the salve or the salve, I would say salve, salve on it, trying to repair it. And it doesn't always feel good. It burns. And I always describe that as, you know, for me, it was my second year of losing him. And I should say I lost him in 2018. So that was kind of like where the timeline was on that. And um, it just significantly like when those nerve endings come back, you feel them and you feel them tenfold. Um, and for me, it was just like the perfect analogy. I just like, I was just like baffled by how perfectly it fit that grieving scenario and everyone grieves differently. So that also is, you know, it's not a one size fits all, but, um, it just really, really like even talking about it. I like my mind starts to like kind of just like blank out because then it just like starts going it's hard to explain um but it's so interesting but, that you because I feel like I mean obviously it's different for everybody in every scenario but if you go through something extremely traumatic like you did I think that's a perfect analogy because I feel like there's always like that shock and then you know whatever the stages of grief but I feel like when you feel physical pain it's easier to understand so I think that's like a very spot on analogy. And I would say it's probably, I mean, you said everyone grieves different, but I would say it's spot on for everybody. It's just the timeline of it. Like when it happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I d- yeah, definitely. And it's, and then after, you know, it starts healing and I say healing very lightly. Cause again, everyone's journey of healing is so different. And like, for me, I know my journey of healing will never be over. Um, but then you, that's when you get a scar, like, you know, it goes from the burn to the, the treating it. And then the scar is something that you always will have. Um, um, it's always a reminder. It's always like a missing thing. And, um, that's just, it's I'll, I'll kind of now backtrack a little bit to like about my dad and kind of the leading up to that aspect of it. Now that like, I talked about what happened. Um, I think it makes more sense. I was going to say, like, if you if you guys were in shock completely that it was, you know, that way, or if you had some sort of, because uh, right. you know, some people hide it, you know. Yes. Yep. And so my dad, like, growing up, he, I definitely noticed as I got older, he um, he experienced. I knew he experienced a lot of anxiety. He was a very anxious person. Um, had traveling was a trigger money. Like, I mean, everything like that you would think of could just be a basic trigger. I mean, a lot of those were triggers for him. Um, and I also think he had a lot of depression. My dad lost his dad. Uh, my grandpa was only 52. And so my dad, I think was in his late twenties. Um, so he lost my grandpa to a heart attack and my parents at the time lived in Wyoming. And so, and my grandpa was in Grand Forks. And so I think he never let himself grieve his dad. He, he shoved his emotions and his feelings just like under the rug. He, he never really let himself feel those feelings and then like try to heal from them. And even my mom has said that, you know, she saw that play out in so many different like aspects of his life. And it's something I think that always stuck with him. Um, and it just increasingly, his anxiety got worse. Um, he was, I remember trying to talk to him when I was a little older, like early college. And, you know, I had started seeing a therapist and it was really helping me. And I would recommended to him, like, you know, you should try talking to someone like you should. It's really helped me. And he just, he was really not having any of that. And I think that's a tricky, tricky part of mental illness is you cannot force people to get help. You can't force people to go to therapy as much as you want to just drag them in there. You can't, it ultimately like you have to choose that for yourself. You have to, everyone's breaking point in a sense is different of um, that light bulb moment of when they want to actually take that step. And And how do you say that? I don't want to interrupt this because I want you to continue on your path with this story. However, um, it's important to note that like, you know, even as when you watch somebody struggling with mental health, I feel like you as a person can be so frustrated with them because they're not getting the help that they, that you know, they need. But on the flip side, like people need to understand that it's a sickness. You're sick. Mm -hmm. That's why you aren't getting the help. So even if you want it, even if you need it, like, it's like your brain can't respond to that. So like, it's so, it's so frustrating the way our whole mental health and our, like, just how, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just, there's yep. just, they should go about it all wrong. And that's just how I'm going to say that. Um, yep. And this is broken, but I feel like no matter how much you want them to, and maybe no matter how, how much they want to, they're sick. Mm-hmm. 
that's just yeah. how it is sometimes. Yeah, that's completely true. And it's, you know, and I think depending on kind of what you're struggling with, every single day can look different for you. You know, like my dad had really great days and he, but then he had really bad days. And on those really good days, you might have that feeling of optimism of like wanting to get help, but then you come and you hit a bad day and that all just like kind of goes out the window and like your brain just plays so many tricks on you when you struggle with mental health. And it's just crazy, such a crazy concept of like to sit and think to yourself, I, I really want to get up and do this, but like you physically can't get your body to move and do it. And it's like, it's just, if you don't struggle with it, it's like, you can't understand that. But if you do, it's just, you can't make sense of it either. Yes. I remember telling her, it was so funny. Like she had, I said, I know I need to get up. I know I need to walk. I know I need to eat the healthy things and go and be in the sun. I'm like, but I can't, like, I literally can't, I can't Mm -hmm. do it. And she's like, your, that's your depression. Like that mm-hmm. right there, that barrier, that robot, that's the depression. And, it, and then it just kind of clicked for me. I was like, okay, <laughs> but if you yep. don't get it, you're like get up, like, why won't you get up? But yeah, it's so uh-huh. frustrating. Very. And it's, you know, it's so frustrating for you, like having these constant arguments in your head, essentially with yourself, like your subconscious. And, and then, so it's, then you think of like how other people who might not struggle with it, how they view it. And I was like, I can't even imagine how frustrated other people get that don't struggle with it. And like, it's really impossible to fully understand unless you have struggled with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something too, like I tell my husband all the time because he does not struggle with it. And so it's always a very, like, it's just, I'm glad he can't understand it. Like I'm so anyone who doesn't understand it. It's so funny because you're like, I'm so happy for you, but also what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just yeah. So, um, so yeah, it it creates really kind of like crazy dynamics between certain people, and it's something that you constantly like have to work on your communication. Um, But at the end of the day, again, if you don't like, you can only understand to a certain point if you don't struggle Mm -hmm. with it and I think that's okay and then that's where the empathy comes in and that's where you know not trying to fix um just trying to comfort really and I was Um, going to say that well like obviously I've never experienced what you've experienced in the loss you've gone through but like that's when you're I'm obviously so empathetic towards you and I'm like that's where then that just shows up and then you just mm -hmm. sit with the person and respect the feelings and you know, you feel sorry. Yeah. And it's, and that's so normal. And, um, so yeah, like, so when my dad, he struggled off and on and he not me, not living in Grand Forks, I didn't see that the day to day, you know, like I didn't see what my mom saw or my brother saw by, you know, them being there. Um, and so were they concerned? Is Mm -hmm. that what you just said? Um, Yes. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's crazy. I look back now cause I still have like text messages from him on my phone and everything. And I look back starting at like, ugh, I don't even know, like 2015 maybe. 
even just looking at like my birthday, like communication with him, you know, it, it, every year it dwindled every year. There was less emotion leading up to like when he passed. And it's just when you do that and you look at that progression, it's, it can be such a slow process. Like the disease of mental illness, when it ends up taking someone, it is such a slow, I mean, it's no different from like someone slowly dying over the years from cancer. It's just completely, it's just, and that's what I saw when I looked back, I was like, he was slowly internally like dying inside and it's heartbreaking, but it's also, you know, that stigma around people don't want to outwardly talk about it, especially men. It's a really hard thing for some men to really like come forward and talk about like struggling like that. Um, especially if they were raised in this environment of like, you're a man, you're tough, like don't show your emotions. Like I feel like for a lot of people in that generation, that was a norm that they grew up with. And so as an adult for them to kind of adjust into like expressing themselves more, it's just a very uncomfortable and uncommon thing to see. Um, and so it made sense I, why he hit it so well. And I would say too, that my, so my dad struggles and I won't get into that cause it's his personal stuff, but it's like, I I've seen a lot. So I, mm-hmm. and I see how, like you say the generational thing and it's like, I don't want to say they, it's almost like they feel like weak asking for help. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I feel completely. like it's just, they don't want to do it. Like they are going to take care of it themselves and they're going to hide it all inside yeah. and they're going to keep moving forward. And it's just all of these things. And obviously they almost my dad feel has- less like a man. Yeah. Kind of it's like the sense of what happens, which is so it's like, we just, yeah, I think it's like more brave to ask for help, but that's just my personal opinion, but it's like, no, totally. Yes. But also when you witness it, it's like, I mean, and he's figured out his stuff and how he's going to deal and whatever. But I just think it's like just the way that they process and they're the ones who should be helping people not needing help, I think is like how they view it. And so yep. they don't like what's so normal for us. Like we're like, go to therapy and meditate and do right. things right, and be creative. And mm-hmm. it's just not in their realm. And I don't know if they'll ever understand it or if it's just like a different understanding. And obviously boys and girls are different in that as well, but I've witnessed right. um, a lot in that generation and in, specifically in my own father as well. And so I can completely understand what you're saying when it's like that. And it is yep, slow. And like, so uh-huh. many times where you want to have communication and, they don't and you know or it's just yep. brief and you're like oh, no it's, it's fine it's fine you know yep it's very much like shutting down the emotional conversations mm-hmm. as quickly yeah. as possible it's kind of like what happened happen. with my dad yep and yeah. and he was one that I remember at his funeral of so many people are like my dad never ever hesitated to help other people Like he was that dependable person. He would be there for you. He, and so I think that's also a really common thing of like, when you're struggling, like, I know I do this, like I helping other people and seeing other people happy, like fills my cup and Mm -hmm. I will do that before filling, like making myself 
happy. And that's definitely like, I learned that in my short previous marriage of like codependency and trying to be a fixer and like feeling, you know, I'll get this boost of serotonin if I make someone else feel happy, hoping that that in turn is going to make me feel happy, which it does, but it doesn't fix like those root issues of like, you know, where my mental health struggles are coming from. And that's a scary thing to like truly look inward at yourself. It's terrifying because it's the same thing. (laughs) It's like the rose colored glasses. Like you want to, you want to be a certain way and it like kills you to know you aren't that way. And that's like your goal is to be painful. It's painful. Healing is so painful. It is. It is. And it's, um, I'm such a believer in like feeling your feelings. Mm -hmm. That's like one thing I always say when people ask, especially now, like my dad has been gone now, um, like four and a half years, give or take. And I talk very, he, so my dad was only 60. Okay. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I like talking about him. I like talking about it because it, that's part of why there's a stigma is people don't want to talk about it. it. Death is uncomfortable in any shape or form. You know, you don't, doesn't matter how someone dies, like anyone losing someone, like you don't know how to deal with it. Like you don't know sometimes how to be there for that person. And I think people ask me all the time, like, how can you talk about it? Like without just being a mess. And I was like, I always say it with a smile on my face. I was like, I let myself feel my feelings. Like I broke down in like Target, the grocery store. Like I would just like see a random thing that had like, like my dad loved Junior Mints and like, um, oh, I'm spacing on the other, like caramel covered chocolate. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, whatever that one is, totally can't think of it. But he loved those. And I remember being at the, Milk Duds, yes. Was, yeah. yeah, this caramel chocolate covered thing. I know. I'm like, oh, they're so good. But I was at the grocery store and I saw those and I just like started bawling. And like things like that were like, it doesn't have to be seeing a picture of them or like like just any it can be the weirdest things that remind you of them. And like I just like let myself feel it when I felt it. And I was like, I don't care if people are sharing at me, like, whatever. They can just move on and get their own groceries. I'm fine. Just Absolutely. let me sit here for a minute. <laughs> and I really, truly, like, I think that has been, like, the biggest factor in my healing journey is just really feeling those feelings. And as the years have gone by, I've had less days of, like, just total breakdown. I still have them, absolutely, but, like, it, it really is – true to an extent that like it gets better with time it never goes away it just the way you deal with it can get better if that makes sense I want to like ask you um a question and if you don't want to answer this you don't have to answer this um I will kind of give you my belief but you've experienced it so mm-hmm. you have more of an insight um it is my belief that when people pass away from suicide it's the disease that takes them but a lot of people tend to get mad at the person um like who passed um what are your feelings about that cuz you've lived it and i am a big believer in like they died by disease like that's my like 
and if you've been in it, like I've been in it, I've been there. I know how it feels. I know how it feels not to be here. So like, uh, that's why I believe that so deeply, but you've experienced it. So I kind of want your input, your input on that. 100% agree with you. It is truly, I, I completely, I think that it is very much a disease. It is a chemical imbalance in your brain. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I don't think anyone truly wants to just die to die. Um, I, you know, you don't think like my dad loved so many things in life. He loved my mom and my brothers and I like, like to a fault. I mean, he would do anything for us. And I really truly believe like he thought that he was, that we were better off. He felt as though he was a burden to us. And that's, and it's not just, you can't just tell them like, oh no, that's not true. Like it is such a deeply rooted, like when depression gets a hold of you, it is such a deeply rooted belief that you don't deserve to be happy, that you, um, you are making everyone else's lives harder by being here. Like everyone will be so much better off if my, the burden of me is gone. And I truly believe that that's, that's what my dad was feeling. I don't, you don't think about what, like, you don't think about everyone that's going to be so sad and heartbroken like because you truly think that they won't be like, that's like the most like screwed up part about it is like, they truly. I do remember going through it because I have talked about this before, but like suicidal ideation and this last year and this past winter, especially like I did not want to be here. And I confided in like a few people and I never once thought about like people missing me. Like I never thought about that. I thought about like, um, just like I was in so much pain and I didn't want to die. Like you said, you, I feel like that's not the goal. Like it's not that you don't, it's just, you don't want any more pain and you just want to go away and you just clear it out and you can't find the escape. And that's the depression. And so it's not like any time, like the, the only thing I would ever think about was like, honestly, it was like my son and like, just trying to think about that, like, and put that in my brain. But like, I never thought about anybody else, like ever. Cause it's, it's it's like the disease, that's the depression. And when you say it's rooted so Mm -hmm. deep, like I feel that's my core. It's like, I feel like it's like holding you in bed and like has 10 arms and it's like, Uh you need to not be here anymore and you're awful and you don't deserve life and all these things. And then you're just like a slave to it. And it's so sad. It takes people because you just know that it can, I mean, it's not, you're always going to live with it. Like my dad and I have had this conversation of like, maintaining or managing it because it's something that's you're always going to live with however it's awful because you want people to be able to experience past that and there's so many who mm-hmm. are by it and it's so unfair and I hate it so much and that's where I'm like I'm yeah. so appreciative of you coming on here and sharing your story because he deserves to be talked about and he Absolutely. deserves light brought to his name and he deserves his story to live on. And I think it is so brave of you, even though you say like, you know, people are like, how can you do it? All that stuff. I think it's so brave and so admirable that you're willing to talk about it because it needs to be talked about. It definitely Absolutely. does. 
I just so firmly believe that. Okay, continue with what you were saying. I feel like I totally cut you off track with all that. Oh, no, you're no, you're good. Um, yeah, like you said, like how your experience of going through that, and like he, he I don't like my dad didn't want to die. You know, I I know that for a fact that he he didn't want to die. Like you just said, like there's this pain. And you feel as though you've tried all these avenues in like this physical world to mm-hmm. help it. And like, you honestly feel like you've exhausted all options and you just mm-hmm. don't want to feel that way anymore. Uh, Cause I, I mean, I've gone through um, some ideation like in the past, but like I've never gotten to, you know, a point where like I, I started thinking about, you know, how I would do it. You know, I never got to like that planning stage. Yeah. Of yeah, it. And it. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, just from like my brief personal experience with like feeling it for myself, like, yeah, like you just don't want to feel like it anymore. And you just genuinely don't, you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. You don't. And that's it so, is so sad, like you yeah. said. That's so true. I feel like that's something that me and my girlfriend, who I had told her um, specifically about, like, I finally confided in her. And I just kept saying, like, I don't know what my future looks like. There's, there's nothing good. Like I don't see anything good coming out of this. Like I'm in so much pain and like, this is how it can escape. Cause I do think that's like a misconception that people have. It's like, nobody wants to die. That's not the purpose of that. It's the purpose to release the pain. Like I feel like Mm -hmm. you can only, and, and you know, you could look at this in a different way as well. Maybe it's not mental pain. I've heard of people who have been like in chronic severe pain who have committed suicide because they literally cannot hand like your threshold is only so much before you break and like that's just something that is so that's like the disease and it's it's yeah it just grasps you and I think that's like what people Mm -hmm. it does get better and it's so hard to say that because when you're in it you don't do not fucking believe it at all like there was no no body that I was like yes, this will get better. I was like, no, like it's, I could only see like downhill. So I can, Mm -hmm. yes, I think that we have the same viewpoint on that. Oh, completely. And I think too, like, you know, when you're being told like, it'll get better, like you want so badly to believe people when they say that as Mm -hmm. well, but you're like, what do do I just lay in bed in pain until that time comes when it gets better? Cause like, like, okay, what do you do though? Like what's what's going to happen? because you know like you like we were talking about before how you know you're you want to get up and do these things and your body physically will not listen to your brain telling you to do these things and so it's so yeah then then it becomes like this gray space of like well what do I do then like you say it'll get better but like what what do I do to get to that and you know and of course like therapy and and this is where it just gets hard because everyone is so different. Everyone takes things on differently. And, you know, like I look at the way I grieve versus, you know, the way my brother grieves and my, my brother, uh, my younger brother has a definite, he has a different angle to his grief. Um, he, he is the one that ended up finding my dad. And so that also is like, you know, something where I get that glimpse of not being able to like relate because none of us can relate to that part of his grief. And um, so I think that's very humbling for me when it comes to um, showing empathy. Like I'm an incredibly empathetic person to a fault sometimes. I mean, 
I just, I will absorb everyone else's emotions around me and not feel my own. And I, you know, I do that with him and it's just, you know, you have to learn that balance then of like, okay, we're both grieving the same person, but we're having very different experiences while grieving. Same with like the experience of my mom grieving is completely different than mine. Um, you know, in the relationship, like my brother and I have the same relationship to my dad, but like my mom lost her, her life partner, her spouse. And it's then, you know, approaching that in the same humbling light of like, I don't know what you're experiencing. And I have to be empathetic to like the different emotions you're feeling that aren't applicable to like the type of grief I have as it being my fault, like a father daughter relationship. And so I think that's been just like a really, like a big learning, um, like life lesson in that too, of like, just all the different facets that there are to grieving. I was going to say like the navigation through the grief and through the people through the grief. Um, I want to say two things because, um, this is obviously part of the podcast to overcome is like, I just love it so much, my baby. And so I want you to say, um, like, if you have advice for anybody, like how to overcome and you can use whatever you want as an example, um, you can use whatever story, whatever you want to talk about. And then I just want you to kind of share like a few things about your dad and just remembrance of him because it, I'm sorry if it makes you cry, but I really no, want, to okay. do that. want to honor him and his, you know, journey with the mental health and the suffering and it deserves to be talked about. So you can talk about those two things before we wrap up. Okay, perfect. Um, what was the first one again? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Brain fog. Oh, oh, <laughs> Overcoming like, it. Okay. Like how you overcame. Perfect. Um, so I would say I'm very much always in the process of overcoming. And um, I think, like I had mentioned before, feeling my feelings has been, I think, a huge game changer. And I've become very comfortable like with my emotional side where I feel like not everyone feels comfortable with that so I remember always telling myself you know when things were getting really intense like when it was very fresh when my dad had passed that just to take things moment by moment you know there's you know the saying of like take things day by day I broke it down to moment by moment because you just throughout the whole thing of losing my dad like it takes one second for something to change, whether that's life, that's, I mean, just anything, your emotions and just like taking things moment by moment and giving yourself grace. I remember being so caught up in, um, like I didn't really have people telling me like you should be over it by now type of thing, but like you definitely feel this pressure of like, okay, it's been a year. Should I still be crying? Like, four days a week about it. And I just like want people to just like go at your own pace. Like it's, it's your journey. It is, it's your story of grieving. And like, that's something that's so personal. And I think there should be no judgment about that at all. And I think just reaching out to people when you feel the urge to, um, and trying your best, I know it's really hard, but like to just communicate how you're feeling. Um, even if it's like, I've texted my mom even just said like today sucks. 
and I might not respond to her the rest of the day, but like, I, I really pushed myself to just let someone know I wasn't in a good headspace. And I know that's not possible every day. And especially everyone goes through different things and everyone's story is so different. But I think just really being honest with yourself and taking things moment by moment and not being so hard on yourself and just really, truly letting people help you. And it's hard and it can feel like you're weak but at the end of the day, like just remembering that there's people that love you and that want to see you get to the other side of it. And it's yeah. Moment by moment. It's like become one. Love Feel your feelings that. moment by moment. That's just like, yes. I always say kind of day like by my day. motto. Yeah. I always stay used, used to say day by day. And now I say, I, then I got into the habit of saying hour by hour because I feel like, you know, when you go through mm-hmm. stuff, it's like, just a little bit at Absolutely. a time because even day by day can seem daunting, but it's so crazy. Cause I always think like, in a way grief and obviously you agree, you're grieving something completely different than me, but it's like grief will be like so fast, but also so slow. Like just, oh, yes. just like, I can't believe this amount of time has gone by, but I can't believe it's only noon. <laughs> like it's literally. Just, yes. Yes, and it's like I'm that not- when it comes to like years with month, like days, months, years of grieving someone, it's, there are some days where it like, it feels like yesterday, like, mm-hmm. like yesterday, but yet it also feels like 10 years ago. You know, like when you think of it in like big picture, like my life is 100% different than it was when at that moment that that happened. Yes. And so when you think of it like that, you think so much more time has to have gone by. It can't just be four and a half years. But then I think of like smaller picture that I'm like, oh my gosh, like it feels like it happened last month. Like it's just really crazy. Like our perception of time and how that like. I was just going to say really time is an illusion. <laughs> right? <laughs> Honestly. But it's so true. Like when you like, I get into those super deep, like wormholes of looking at things like that. And it just really, truly is so like time. It's just like a ever morphine thing. Yes, absolutely. And none of us really, truly know what time is. Yeah. Like it's it's just, that can lead us down a whole other path. (laughs) Episode. Okay. So I want to talk mention a few things about your dad you can share his name if you want you don't have to um and just like a few like really special things you think about him before we wrap up just honor um so my dad uh his name is Doug um so it's also funny because my dog is Doug um so yep so Doug and Doug met each other and it was great and it was fantastic um so yeah that was always like I remember not like knowing how I was going to feel about that after my dad passed and now I just like, I love it. So yeah, Doug. Um, also a funny icebreaker when Justin and I started dating, like, oh, your dog has the same name as my dad. Like, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Um, <laughs> well, Doug is such but, an odd name for a dog, so I love it. I think it's so funny. He named him Doug after um, Doug and Up, the dog. Doug. That is so cute. Yeah, I know. And he's so, like, exactly like that. If anyone watches that movie, I and mean, they're just like, I love you. Like, that is my Doug. <laughs> to a T. But he's huge and, yeah. Um, but, yeah, my dad, he he loved being really involved in, like, all, like, my brother and I, like, our 
lives growing up. He was my um, traveling basketball coach, him and my mom, uh, for like whatever that time. It's like sixth grade to like eighth grade or something like that. Um, my dad loved golfing. Golfing was like his absolute favorite thing. Um, I'm so happy he got the chance to go to the Masters um, with a few of his cousins. That was like his number one bucket list item. And I'm just like, it makes me so happy inside to know he got to experience that. Um, so yeah, he loved golfing even when he, he was always known for um, getting really pissed and just like slamming his clubs down. It just became like the funny thing. Cause like he wasn't a bad golfer and he wasn't like a great golfer. He was just like a golfer. And so like, <laughs> he would just like get pissed and just like chuck the golf club. So it just became like a running joke. Um, and we actually had that in his obituary too, of like broken clubs and all. Um, <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, but yeah, like him, him and my mom, fun fact, actually met at NDSCS in Wofford. Um, oh my so that was, I know. So, like, when I moved to Wapitan, that's one other thing I'm going to add in really quickly that I forgot to say, too, is I get asked all the time of whether people or whether I regret um, getting married so young and, like, regret all of that stuff. And I just, like, I truly don't um, because my life would not look anything like it does right now if I hadn't gone through all of that. And I very much believe in, like, the universe puts you in the right spot at the right time, even if it sucks and you go through those things even though it sucks. But, like, it just ends up making you stronger in ways that you couldn't even realize. So I just had to mention that because I do get asked yeah, that a lot. And I'm like, a very firm believer in that as well. And I wanted to recap on that. And I totally forgot. So I'm very happy you said that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's – and even, like, just, like, very serendipitous of, like, when – like, my parents met in Wapitan. So, like, you know, I felt like Wapitan – I was meant to be in Wapitan for that time period. And so yeah. uh, that just made me think of that. Um but yeah, like my dad loved skiing. My mom and him used to, cause they were married for about 10 years before they had kids. And so they just traveled and went skiing and just, you know, I, I loved that adventurous side of him. He loved that. Um, he loved crawfish, crayfish, crawfish. People say it differently. Um, I think they're disgusting, but he loved them. Uh, <laughs> like, I just think it's so gross. If you watch someone eat one of those, it just makes me want to throw up. Uh, yeah, but if absolutely. you love it, that's great. More power to you. <laughs> um, We're judging and, yeah, I just right, but I'm slightly judging you. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, and he just like he loved his family, and he just like you know even with his own struggles, he he was always there for me when I needed him, and um, he had like the most distinct laugh. I can't even like mimic it. It's just. It was just like this really deep, distinct laugh. And like, he gave the best bear hugs. Like my, that's one thing my brother, like when we were writing the obituary, like we had to put in there because there was just nothing like, like that bear hug from him when I hadn't seen him in a little while. And I still like will close my eyes sometimes. And like, I'll just picture that hug. And I feel like sometimes I can actually feel it. And it's, it's really comforting. And, um, yeah, and just, like, I really appreciate you, like, wanting me to talk about him because I think that's also something that, you know, people feel like they shouldn't ask you about, like, your loved ones who have passed. And from my perspective and a lot of other people that I've talked to that have lost people really close to them um, is, like, they want to talk about them. Like, they want their memory to live on. And, um, and That's what I'm just kind of thinking, like, sorry, I'm just, like, sitting over here crying. <laughs> You're good. I, um... 
I think it's so important because it keeps them alive in your heart and in your life. Absolutely. They deserve it. And they do. um, And there's so much more than like how they died. That's another like one thing too, is I feel like people get very fixated, especially with suicide on how they pass. And I'm like, that's not my dad. That is like a millisecond of the life he lived. And Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I love that. Like focusing on like, you're so much more than just like how you pass away. And, uh, yes. And that was the purpose, I guess, of maybe why I asked you that, because I was like, I feel like, especially mental health and all that stuff that people do get fixated on that. And then they just think about that and that's how they see him. And it's like, no, like he's a father. He was a husband. He was a friend. And you know, all of these things that was just, he was sick and that's how he passed. But like, there's so much more to him. And I am, I'm so happy um, and appreciative that not only that part of your story, but even the beginning, because I feel like you could have stopped there and like that would have been very traumatic, you right. know what I mean? And so it's like, there's all these pivot points in your story that happened. And I'm so, I'm so honored that you shared your story truthfully. Like, I feel like, you know, it's, I don't want to say this and be like, people don't talk about it enough because some people can't talk about it and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to talk. Like, if you're uncomfortable with it or whatever, that's why I appreciate it so much because, um, it's not common that you find somebody who's willing to discuss it. Um, and just discuss your mental health journey in itself. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. And I just, I obviously have so much empathy for you when it comes to your dad. And obviously I can't relate, but my family struggles a lot with mental illness. And so just like, I think that's why it strikes such a chord with me because it's like always a fear of mine and my family. So, um, I just, I appreciate so much, like you just bringing it to light and to share that it is like the disease and that's not who he is. And he's so much more than that. Um, and just, yeah, to share your personal story has been so great. And, um, yeah, I just appreciate having you on here. Is there anything else like you want to add or make sure that you said? Um, I think I covered it. I just want to like, thank you again for having me on. And I love that you're doing this and that you've created this platform to talk uh, to so many different people and just like to share awareness of it. I think that's amazing, especially, you know, with things that you've gone through. I just think like, I'm proud of you. And like, I know we don't even know each other that well, but like truly like I followed your story and it just makes me so happy to see you like finding something that really can like fill those voids that depression creates. And it's just, it's amazing. So I'm just, I'm so happy you're doing what you're doing. It's awesome. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate that so much. Um, I don't think I realize that sometimes like I think it takes people telling me that to realize it. So I do appreciate that so much, but we're going to sign off on the podcast. So again, thank you so much for listening to Jenna's story. She was very vulnerable and open. And I just always, again, remind people to approach that with like safety and love and everything. So thank you guys so much. And we will catch you next time. To overcome the storm emerged without any warning, without any sign She never saw coming a whirlwind of darkness uprooting her present and cascading shadows over her future, a true collision of disruption and despair. She finds herself consumed by chaos, her faith unraveling as it disappears into the cries of the sky. 
And in the midst of heartache, she decides that she can either dwell in her disasters or she can learn to weather them. She can let the storm break her or she can let it build her. It's in this moment of clarity that she begins to fight her way out of the darkness. It's in this moment of grace that she stops running from her storm and she starts following her rainbow. And despite the aches of her journey, she is led to a place only she can find. A place of courage, a place of beauty, a place of becoming. That is what it means to overcome. This is what it means to survive. And although the storm brought her destruction, it also brought her strength. She learned that she is more powerful than she ever imagined. And that anything that arrives to break her, the darkness will never stop her from finding her light. 